This is the Recurring Wellness Podcast, diving into the world of health, wellness, and holistic healing. I'm your host, Taylor Patterson. This show is for discussion purposes only and not intended to be medical advice. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today is the second part of my series on fats and oils. In the last episode, we talked about seed oils and the huge impact they had on our society and why I stay away from them personally. If you haven't listened to that episode, please do me a favor, go back, flip over, and check that one out before we get going on this episode. It's episode number eight. Now, that being said, let's talk about fats. Let's talk about good fats. Let's talk about what they actually are. We all know after decades of pushback that fat as a macronutrient is beneficial. And in fact, it's actually necessary for our survival as humans. We are also rediscovering the benefits of fat in our diet such as usable energy, brain function, joint health, fat loss, cholesterol and blood pressure regulation, hormonal regulation, immune system support, insulin sensitivity, digestion, reducing inflammation, regulating body temperature, maintaining healthy skin and hair, absorbing vitamins and nutrients, overall cellular function. Fats do in fact raise cholesterol, but if you listen to the last episode, you'll probably be just fine with that. Fats, when consumed, are transported through the bloodstream via lipoproteins, HDL and LDL. HDL was deemed the good guy because it collects excess cholesterol and transports it to the liver for excretion. LDL was deemed the bad guy because it deposits cholesterol in the body. However, after a lot of research, there's a good and a bad LDL, and it's been discovered. The bad LDL is small and dense, likely is to deposit itself into arterial walls. So that causes blockages and inflammation, leading to serious trouble. The good LDL is larger and fluffier and not inherently dangerous. Saturated fats have been shown to raise LDL cholesterol levels, but not in the way that we now know to be dangerous, at least not in high amounts. Insulin, which is a hormone released by the pancreas, helps the cells of the body make use of glucose. It travels through the bloodstream, opening the door for glucose to enter the cell. Glucose is either used by the body for energy or it's converted and stored as fat for long-term use. Insulin resistance happens when the body has developed too much of a tolerance for insulin, making it less effective, requiring more insulin to tell the cells to take up glucose. Too much insulin creates hyperinsulinemia, which is a precursor for type 2 diabetes. Insulin resistance is not just a problem for diabetes. It's widely considered to be the cause for most disease and it's the most common health condition worldwide. A diet high in processed food, bad fats, and refined carbohydrates is thought to promote insulin resistance. There's no doubt that a high sugar diet will contribute to this problem. Bad fats in the form of seed oils when consumed also promote insulin resistance. Benjamin Dickman, PhD, he's a professor of pathophysiology and a biomedical scientist, His research into insulin resistance is giving new light about how seriously widespread insulin resistance actually is. Ketogenic diet has emerged. It's something very, very common nowadays as a way to promote fat loss and improve insulin resistance. Your liver produces ketones as a secondary fuel source when your body is low on glucose, which is your primary source of energy. This diet comes with a lot of controversy as some studies have shown it to promote insulin resistance. While these studies have been proven to be biased and slightly baseless, 
More studies recently have shown that a ketogenic diet can produce, can sorry, reduce chronic inflammation, reduce insulin resistance, improve brain function, and promote fat loss. Now, my stance on the ketogenic approach is simple. It's a tool to help you whenever you need it. You don't have to be in a constant state of ketosis to reap the rewards. Intermittent fasting or simply just reducing your carbohydrate intake can actually assist in making ketones. The great thing about ketones is that they're actually a fuel source that the body can waste via urine or carbon dioxide if not used. Glucose, on the other hand, gets stored in fat cells when we don't use it. Hence why high-carb diets without regular physical activity can easily lead us down a slippery slope to metabolic syndrome. Many health professionals warn against the ketogenic diet. They call it too extreme. Though ketosis isn't for everyone, most people will see benefits of reducing carbohydrate intake and promoting the use of ketones for energy. Many people simply just don't stick to it long enough or they aren't consuming the right foods. Many people on the ketogenic diet consume high amounts of protein, which can actually elevate your blood sugar, promoting the, ins the presence of insulin. Others consume high amounts of seed oils in the form of fats and deep fried foods, thinking that any fat is good fat. But this creates a bigger problem, and I don't recommend this approach. I found that a whole food, animal-based ketogenic approach can significantly assist the body in fat loss, brain function, daily energy, digestion, inflammation, anxiety, depression, insulin sensitivity, and much more. Now, I'm not here to tell you that all carbs are bad, but I'm going to say once your body is fat adapted, you've entered a state of high function of the metabolic system. Fat is an energy source. In fact, for every gram of fat, there's nine calories, whereas protein and carbohydrates have four calories per gram. Folks on a ketogenic diet are encouraged not to count calories, but rather to focus on eating higher amounts of healthy fats and lower amounts of carbohydrates. I'll share my list of good fats later in this episode. First, let's get into fat a little bit because I want my audience not to fear fat, but to embrace it and understand its vital role in our diet. Being able to know what you put in your body gives you a metabolic advantage. Arming people with the ability to make their own form choices, it's important to me. Let's check it out. Fats are generally grouped into four major categories. Saturated fats, monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, and the fourth one, sort of a quasi group, is trans fats. Now, fats aren't all saturated. They're not all polyunsaturated. They're made up of different combinations of each category. Let's look at each one sort of high level so we don't get too scientific. So saturated fat. Saturated fats are completely saturated with hydrogen atoms. Therefore, they do not have double bonds. This typically makes them solidify at room temperature. So butter, lard, coconut oil, et cetera. These can further be categorized into long chain, medium chain, and short chain. Long chain is a primary fat storage in the body, typically found in milk and meat of grazing animals. Meristic, palmitic, and stearic acid are common forms. Long chain saturated fats are digested by the bile acids. Medium chain saturated fats are most likely to be found in breast milk and coconut milk, for example, lauric, capric, caprylic, and caproic acid. Now, they, not, they do not require bile acids for digestion and can be considered a great source of digestible energy. It has also been shown to enhance fat burning via thermogenesis, resulting in the formation of ketones, one of the two sources of fuel for the brain, glucose obviously being the other one. You might recognize medium chain fats by their MCT for medium chain triglycerides. 
Short-chain fats or short-chain fatty acids, such as butyric, propionic, or acidic acids, are less common in the human diet. However, small amounts of butyrate can be found in butter and ghee. These fats are actually formed when good bacteria ferments digestible fiber in the colon. This is one of the reasons why resistant starch has been touted as beneficial to the microbiome of the gut. They break down into short-chain fatty acids. Short-chain fatty acids are shown to promote signaling between cells. Butyrate is a source of energy for the gut lining. Let's move into monounsaturated fats. Oleic acid, such as olives, avocados, some meats and nuts, these form structural fats of the body. Much like saturated fats, they're non-toxic, even at high doses. These form structural fats of the body, much like saturated fats, and they're non-toxic, even at high doses. Monounsaturated fats seem to be the only group of fats that the fat phobes, like the American Heart Association, and the fat-friendly groups, such as Atkins, myself, and others, actually agree on as a good fat. Monounsaturated fats have been shown to increase good HDL, decrease oxidized LDL, reduce inflammation, blood pressure, and the risk of heart disease. Next up is polyunsaturated fats, or PUFAs. If you listen to episode number eight, you'll have a little background on them. Due to their multiple double bonds, they're always liquid at room temperature. PUFAs are susceptible to oxidative damage at high temperatures. In the body, polyunsaturated fats play a role in forming cell membranes, regulating gene expression and cell function. Here are the two subcategories for PUFAs, omega-3 and omega-6. Omega-6 has two main fats, linoleic acid and arachidonic acid. Linoleic acid is an essential fatty acid, meaning it's not produced by the body. It's found in small amounts in fruits, vegetables, grains, and meats. It's found in large amounts in industrial seed oils. See episode number eight. Linoleic acid has been linked to gut dysbiosis, inflammation, vitamin E depletion, weight gain, liver disease, autoimmune disease, and premature aging. Arachidonic acid, ARA, has been found in animal foods such as chicken, eggs, beef, and pork. It's present in cell membranes and is responsible for cellular signaling, vasodilation, basically reducing blood pressure, growth of skeletal muscle. It's also abundant in the brain. Omega-3 has six main fatty acids. We'll touch on three of them, not to make it too complicated. Alpha-linoic acid, ALA, eicosapentaenoic acid, EPA, and docosahexaenoic acid, DHA. EPA and DHA are long-chain derivatives of ALA, found mostly in cold water fatty fish like salmon, herring, anchovies, mackerel, bass, as well as shellfish. EPA and DHA is where humans are found to be the most deficient. Even modest consumption of EPA and DHA, 200 to 500 milligrams, has been shown to reduce risk of heart disease by up to 35%. That's more than statin drugs. EPA is known for reducing risk of heart disease, irregular heartbeats, as well as fighting cancer, autoimmune, and more. DHA has a role in reducing heart disease risk, improving ADHD, inflammation, eye infections, Alzheimer's, and more. ALA can be converted to EPA or DHA, but this process is not efficient in people, especially vegetarians, the elderly, and, the immune, and immunocompromised people. It's thought that our paleolithic ancestors consumed an average of up to 500 milligrams of EPA and DHA daily. The average American consumes about 90 to 160 milligrams today, daily. It's easy to see why omega-3 gets the good name it does and why omega-6 is thought 
of as harmful. Both are essential, but not equal. Finally, we have trans fats. There are actually two kinds of trans fats, natural and artificial. So conjugated linoic acid or CLA is a naturally occurring trans fat that forms in small amounts when ruminant animals consume grass. So grass-fed animals produce CLA, less so in grain-fed animals. Interestingly enough, CLA has been linked to lower risk of heart disease. It may help prevent and manage type 2 diabetes by improving insulin sensitivity, which we now know how big of a problem insulin resistance actually is. CLA has been shown to reduce cancer risk by blocking metastatic spread of tumors. Some research is showing it can help reduce body fat as well. Artificial trans fats are slightly different structurally than natural trans fats, but their effects in the body are major. Low doses of artificial trans fats have been shown to increase risk of heart disease, cancer, obesity, and other inflammatory conditions. Artificial trans fats actually promote inflammation, damage the lining of the blood vessels, increase the number of LDL particles, those little bad guys we talked about, and lower HDL cholesterol. Artificial trans fats have been agreed upon as unhealthy by most recognized organizations. However, they still do exist in some vegetable oil products. So what are the good guys? Well, as you can see, it's quite complicated. Saturated fats have gotten the most airtime as the bad guy in our diet. This is from epidemiological studies dating back 50 plus years. The problem with these studies is they were biased and they were not clear. There was a tendency for unhealthy people to consume saturated fats. None of the research actually proved that it was the saturated fats alone that caused the health risks. More recent studies have shown that good saturated fats are good for you. Bad saturated fats are not. This also goes for polyunsaturated fats as well. Here's a list of fats that I personally enjoy consuming. And just a note on these, these are fats I use for cooking or drizzling on top of food, not the actual food themselves. Okay, here we go. So top five, we'll go number five, avocado oil. Avocado oil is a monounsaturated fat, high in oleic acid, making it resistant to oxidization and helps reduce risk of cancer. It can reduce blood pressure. The process of making avocado oil involves no heat, no added chemicals. If you buy it right, it's pure. So look for 100% pure or extra virgin. It can help promote good cholesterol, HDL. It can lower bad, small LDL particles. It's high in chlorophyll, which is a natural course of magnesium, aiding in bone health and removing of heavy metal toxins. It's high in omega-3, which we know is beneficial for the heart and brain. It's high in vitamins A, D, and E, and can assist in promoting collagen production, helping to protect the skin from damage and aging. All right, number four, extra virgin or expeller-pressed coconut oil. So derived from coconuts, another fatty fruit, coconut oil may be one of the more versatile fats on this list. It's a saturated fat, so it's solid at room temperature and has a high smoke point, which makes it stable for cooking. It contains both medium and long-chain triglycerides. The medium-chain triglycerides digested by the liver can actually create ketones, which we know aids in fat loss, brain function, and lots of other metabolic processes. This also assists in reducing insulin resistance. Saturated fats are known to increase HDL, the good cholesterol. MCTs, medium-chain triglycerides, are known to work as natural antibiotics, which can assist in warding off infections. The polyphenols in coconut oil have anti-inflammatory characteristics, as well as antioxidant effects, which help inhibit chronic illness risk. The lauric acid in coconut oil has been shown 
to possibly have anti-cancer actions as well as antibacterial, antifungal, and antiviral properties. Lauric acid has been shown to have immune-supporting characteristics. It's long been used as a topical moisturizer and may help protect skin from damage as well as infection. Oil pulling with coconut oil has been used for centuries as a way to cleanse the mouth of bacteria and help against gum disease and tooth decay. So you simply swish a tablespoon of coconut oil in your mouth daily for about 10 minutes when you wake up. This process has been thought to help with allergies and immune function as well. All right, number three, extra virgin olive oil. Probably the most common oil on, the, on this list and probably the most traditionally used extra virgin olive oil is a monounsaturated fat comes from olives, the fatty fruit packed with nutrients. So the, the first three oils on this list are all from fatty fruits. Interestingly enough, none from vegetables. Extra virgin means it's a pure and unprocessed oil. That's important. It's high in flavonoids and phenolic acid, which are antioxidants. It works as an anti-inflammatory. It can help with skin and hair. It can help with insulin resistance, promotes good cholesterol, lowers the bad LDL. It's high in vitamin C, E, and B1. And it can also help reduce blood pressure. Number two. Oh, this is actually number three. So this is actually a list of six. So extra virgin olive oil was number four. Number three is grass-fed butter. Grass-fed butter is a saturated fat from cows that were fed their natural physiological diet, which is grass rather than corn, soy, antibiotics, and hormones. Benefits include being higher in omega-3, so it's anti-inflammatory. It's rich in vitamins A, D, E, and K. It's high in conjugated linoleic acid, CLA, which is cancer-fighting, as we know, prevents bone loss, helping build muscle tissue. Nearly every system in your body is supported by CLA. It's also high in butyrate, which is a metabolism booster and can help reduce insulin resistance. It promotes fat loss, improves mitochondrial activity. Mitochondria powers the cell. It's rich in beta carotene and lutein, which are natural antioxidants and support your vision as well as protect the eyes from blue light and UV. It's super versatile and it makes cooking really, really tasty as well. Love grass-fed butter. Number two is grass-fed ghee. So if number three was butter, number two was ghee. Very similar to butter, ghee is a clarified form of butter that has been popular among Indian and Southeast Asian cooking for thousands of years. The difference between butter and ghee is that ghee has had the milk solids removed, making it slightly higher in saturated fat than butter. It also has a higher smoke point. These two have very similar health benefits, though. I, I could put them on either. I could reverse them. I can make one, two, one, three. doesn't matter. I personally prefer the taste of butter to ghee, but ghee is a little better to cook with at high temperatures. Also, for somebody with a sensitivity to dairy, the fat from dairy is almost never the culprit. So ghee would be a really good choice in that sense. Okay, and we're down to number one. Number one, grass-fed beef tallow. Another form of saturated fat. Beef tallow is rendered fat from cows. There's no actual processing to take place other than the removal of the fat from the animal and jarring it. You can actually do this yourself at home. Benefits include being allergy-free, anti-inflammatory, High smoke point for cooking. It's very stable. Rich in vitamins A, D, E, K, and B1. Beef tallow can help increase insulin sensitivity and fat loss by releasing glucagon, which is a hormone that signals your body to burn stored fat used for energy. It's high in omega-3 and CLA, which we know the benefits of. The palmitoleic acid in tallow is shown to help treat skin conditions such as psoriasis and eczema. Grass-fed tallow is environmentally friendly since it involves using the full animal. 
It's got a long shelf life. There's also evidence to suggest that humans mainly hunted and ate large animals for about 2 million years. Now you can argue this, of course, but this is exponentially longer than we've harvested grains and vegetables for. The main source of nutrients for us was organs from animals, muscle tissue, and fat from the animal. Grass-fed tallow is exactly that. It's animal fat from large animals that eat their natural diet, which is grass. I'm not trying to denounce vegetables or target vegetarians, but I want to be clear about my stance on animal foods and they're beneficial to the human body as long as we get them from sustainable sources and we know where we're getting our food from. Okay, now here's a quick list of fatty foods I recommend because that was a list of oils and fats I put on my food or cook with. Here are some fatty foods I recommend. Eggs, the yolk specifically, fatty fish, salmon being my preferred, animal fat such as beef, goat, elk, deer, lamb, seafood such as scallops, mussels, oysters, and clams, avocados, olives, and macadamia nuts because they're higher in fat. Now that was not an exhaustive list, but those are the foods that I will not hesitate to eat on a regular basis. And there we have it. Today's episode was all about fat, all about explaining how fat should not be feared. Fat is so beneficial for the human body. We need to know the difference between good fats and bad fats and the processing that's involved and what it does to our body. In terms of the ketogenic diet, many people recommend it. Others say that it's a little bit extreme. If you meet in the middle, use it as a tool to aid in fat loss, insulin sensitivity, brain function, and all sorts of other metabolic functions of the body, you're going to be better off. If you decide you do want to go on a full ketogenic diet, just make sure you're getting ample amounts of good fats, good amounts of clean protein, you're eating real food, staying well hydrated, and taking care of your lifestyle in all those other ways that keep you balanced. And that's it for me today. Thanks very much for listening, guys. We'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.